What a great schmalamine schmalstrom. If only we were a blonde and a brunette. Oh my God, wait. Wait. <laughs> what if only one of us had long hair and one of us had curly hair? Oh, oh wait. wait. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back. Hope that everybody's August is shaping up nicely. Yeah, your August is Augusting. Mm -hmm. We're almost in hot girl fall, which is pretty exciting. I truly, I cannot tell you how over summer I am. (laughs) Like, I want it to be done. I don't want to think about that bitch for another year. I am ready to sit in my apartment, bake my beloved pumpkin cheesecake cookies. Yama. Uh, have a simmer pot going on the uh. stove. I'm wearing a sweater. It's maybe like a little rainy outside. Ooh. And just you hear from my TV. La, la, la. <laughs> la, 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 la. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> yes. I, I thought, well, granted, like, if the listeners don't follow me on Instagram, like, I am on a vacay right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, I'm looking at the beautiful, like, Joshua Tree, California desert right now. Um, like, literally, as far as I can see, I see mountains and cacti. Wow. So, I'm, like, having a very good time. But I will say the summer was, like, very turbulent job changes and just like Mm. I moved like there's just like so much going on um I thought the summer was going to be like a time of like more like blissful relaxation (laughs) and like you know homeostasis but I'm like I guess it'll be the fall then (laughs) yeah that's when you can truly nest and oh my gosh it's gonna be your first like fall Halloween season in your new place. Think of all the decor opportunities that are right. on the horizon. I can bring out my pumpkins. Mm-hmm. Like I'm ready to, you know, replace the throw on my bed for a more autumnal color throw. Yeah. I'm looking yeah. at like a reddish, like my mom knit me a blanket and oh my gosh. I'm like, yes. Beautiful. Yeah. I do have some new because I like to have different dish towels for the season. You have to. Um, you have like to. Like the classy lady that I am. And I just ordered yes. a brand new set of like orange and white ones that are like subtle. It's not like pumpkin mm-hmm. witches. <laughs> you know, it's like a nice subtle fall color palette. So it takes me from, you know, September all the way to November, which is when I start doing my Christmas uh, decor. Yeah, you got to do a little seasonal decor. It doesn't have to be anything crazy, but I feel like adding little pops of color for mm-hmm. the seasons really just like improves overall life quality. I agree. I agree. <laughs> and that's why I think we need to like spread out the holidays a little bit more. Like we the the mm. front half of the year is severely lacking in seasonal decor opportunities. Unless you go sicko mode for Valentine's Day. But that's kind of hard. Yeah. It's like one day. Exactly. So for my personal mental health, I think we need to get cracking on this and like start implementing some changes. (laughs) Heard. Heard. (sighs) Well, speaking of mental health, we have um, quite the movie today. Oh, my goodness. It's heavy. It It is. It's a heavy film. I didn't expect to be like tearing up. 
Mm -hmm. So there were many moments that took me for a turn. Yeah. It was, it was, you know, a harder watch than I thought it was going to be, but I really enjoyed it. I really, really liked this movie. So I'm excited to talk about it. But without further ado, Mo, let's tell the people what we have on the docket today. Absolutely, I will. We are doing the 1994 Aussie classic, Muriel's Wedding. Yeah, I had never seen this before, as mentioned, and we had the DVD growing up. So I was very familiar with like what the like the poster of this movie looked like. And without knowing what this movie was about at all, I always had Muriel's Wedding and Mamma Mia like inextricably intertwined in my mind. And I think it's yeah. because the cover of this movie and the like um, poster for the Broadway show, Mamma Mia, are very similar. Like we have mm-hmm. like the bride, she's like looking up and like laughing. So I always assumed that they were like related. And when I started this movie, I was like, how funny that like I always compare, like drew a line between those two when like they're obviously not related at all. And then the ABBA element started coming in yeah. and I was like, Am I a psychic? Have I always been a psychic? <laughs> Who knows? Maybe your mom like watched it when she was pregnant with you or something. That's possible. It came out before I was born. So mm-hmm. it's very possible. And my love for Mama Mia, you know, is immeasurable. So who's to say? Yeah. I really loved that element in the film. I, if you just throw Mama Mia into movies that I'm watching, I'm already like, you've caught my attention. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So... <laughs> This movie, we'll go over the numbers, of course. Yeah, why you're all here, we know. Of course. The budget for the movie was $9 million. Is $9 million US dollars? I'm not sure because it's just what's listed on Wikipedia and it just has like a dollar sign. So it doesn't say like USD or Australian dollars. So I don't know. But whatever currency, it did make a large return. It grossed $57.5 million in the box office. Yeah. Very well done. I think that in Australia, it grossed like $2 million in its opening weekend. Like that would be Australian dollars, I assume. Um, mm-hmm. And it was like one of the biggest openings for like an Australian movie after I think like crocodile dundee 2 wow <laughs> and something else like at the time um so it was, it was a big deal and then it went on to like gross a ton more money like after opening weekend and then it had a u.s release um where it got even more it also i think was at did it premiere at tiff i think yeah it premiered at tiff september 1994 but it's funny that the number one movie is like crocodile dundee and then it's this one because the crocodile dundee is just like so like caricaturized australia and this movie is very much like a slice of life kind of vibe very 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 different different. (laughs) this movie also reminded me a lot of this australian series that i used to watch a lot growing up with my mom called kath and kim i don't know if you're familiar you've mentioned it before yeah, it's like a it's a it's also kind of like a slice of life. I would say almost like the Australian version of like white trash. You may have seen there's like one clip that will go like viral on Twitter every once in a while of like Kath running around because she thinks that her daughter Kim is gay and she just sees like signs <laughs> everywhere that say like 
Lebanese or stuff like that. And she's like panicking and it's a very funny funny clip. But her catchphrase in the show, God, I'm going to absolutely butcher it. But she's always like, Kimmy, Kimmy, look at me, look at me, Kimmy. I've got one word to say to you. And then she'll say something like ridiculous. Yeah. Um. But it's a great it's a great show. I used to watch it all the time and it reminded me of this movie in in some ways just in like the kind of really like dry Australian humor. Mhm. I really resonated with the humorous parts of this movie. Like mm-hmm. I it was less straight-faced than British humor. Yeah. It was kind of like wacky. Mm. Like they they kind of have like a wacky vibe and maybe that's just cuz like the vernacular is so playful. Yeah. Like the colloquialisms are really like, like you're on the dole, which sounds like a fun thing. It's literally like you're on unemployment. Yes. (laughs) So. um, Yeah. And like chook is just a word for chicken (laughs) is what it means. Really? Yeah. Yeah. That's so funny. Yeah. I was wondering that. So if somebody's like, oh, I have like a chooky neck, it means like, oh, I have like a chicken neck kind of thing. Like there's, there's a restaurant chain called like chooks which is just like fried chicken and yeah so chook means chicken okay good to know yeah yeah the movie is also kind of based on the director's life pj hogan um he based muriel's personality on himself but her actions were inspired by his sister who embezzled fifteen thousand dollars from their father and then disappeared to sydney to live with a friend that's kind of crazy yeah that's pretty wild (laughs) That's kind of wild, yeah. It's it's definitely like not a twist that I was expecting in the movie that she would like no. rob her family. <laughs> no, but, not at all. Yeah. As we mentioned, also ABBA is a very big theme throughout this movie. And PJ Hogan, he had wanted to use ABBA's music, but at first permission was denied. So then he like promised he was going to fly to Europe and like plead his case to the founding members of the band. And they were like, all right, you don't have to do all that. Like, we'll give you permission <laughs> just so long as, you know, the band gets a, a percentage of the film profits. And since it turned out to be like such a big international hit, it then helped inspire the, of course, famous Broadway musical and eventually movie Mamma Mia. So, wow. You're welcome. Yep. You're welcome. (laughs) And the last little just fun fact we have for you is that the film used Tweed Heads as the location for a porpoise spit. But the scene where at the end, I don't want to spoil it, but the very end when Rhonda and Muriel are in a car together, um, it was filmed in the adjoining twin town, Coolangatta. Yep. They also filmed in Morton Island, Darlinghurst, the Gold Coast, Eleonora, Tuggan, Parramatta, Kensington, Surfers Paradise, and of course, Sydney. Wow. Lots of locations. Yeah. Surprising because it doesn't feel like there are that many locations in the movie, but I guess like for all mm-hmm. the indoor sets, like they just use practical real sets, which is cool. Yeah. Well, before we dive into it, uh, we just want to remind you that Out Now on Patreon is our Scott Pilgrim versus the World bonus episode. Uh, mm-hmm. So if you feel like checking that out, head on over to Patreon. And next month, we will be doing, finally, it has made its way out of the Patreon seventh circle of voting hell, 
whip it. Yeah. I saw the chats in the Discord that were like, guys, I think it's time. Like, do you want to put our votes together? Yeah. Vote for Whip It. So kudos to y'all for making it happen. Mm -hmm. I'm really excited to watch it. It's been a minute. Yeah, same. I haven't seen it since I watched it in theaters. So it's going to be a fun fun time to revisit. Absolutely. And if you're interested in joining the Patreon, we have the link in our bio. There is a link in the show notes. You get an extra movie voted by you each month and some other extra fun perks. So go check that out if you're interested. With that being said, should we, I guess, like walk right down that aisle into it? (laughs) Opening up in the beginning of the movie, we see this bouquet flying through the sky and woman just screaming and clamoring to try to catch the bouquet. Muriel, played by Tony Collette, ends up being the winner and the bride screams out asking who got it. It was Muriel. And she's like, ah, looks like I'm next. And like <laughs> sticks out her tongue in a really quirky way. And one of the bridesmaids, I believe it's Cheryl. I think so. She, I think I kind of got their names confused throughout the movie, but yeah, they're they're all kind of interchangeable (laughs) yeah pretty much and she is literally crying she's like sobbing that she didn't catch the bouquet and the bride tanya tells her she can throw it again and another bridesmaid tells her she's never going to get married she's never even had a boyfriend but cheryl has been going steady for six weeks so muriel is being bullied into tossing the bouquet to her and she does it but cheryl is like uh me and Shane broke up last night. So it's just like beyond repair. And she runs off and the other girls go after her and blame Muriel for her like (sighs) breakdown. Then the bride tells her new husband she'll be right back as she follows Cheryl out. And this other bridesmaid, Nicole, makes eyes at him and he reciprocates. Oh my God. Chuck is a shady guy. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, the even with the opening of this movie, I was like, oh, God, I'm going to be so sad for Muriel throughout this whole movie because she's I, yeah, you already know. just so mistreated from the jump. And also, I don't know, I'm personally like, I wouldn't say I'm like anti-bouquet toss, but it's just like, feels like a very antiquated tradition to me that I yeah. personally don't think I will have in my wedding. It does feel really antiquated because it's like, oh, Everyone needs to get married. Everyone clamor yeah. around. Try to get that bouquet. All you desperate like, single ladies. Like, ugh. Right, yeah. right. I think there is a lot of wedding culture that is mm-hmm. just like, even though I think it's like beautiful being walked down the aisle, like yeah. having like just your dad walk you. It's just like a weird yeah. little, these weird little thingies that happen. Yeah. So. I know at my brother's wedding when they did the bouquet toss, it was like coming towards me and i literally like stepped out of the way because i was like <laughs> i don't it was like an instinct Psych. i don't want that i'm 22 years of age get away from me i don't remember who caught the bouquet at my brother's wedding i don't even know if i tried to catch it <laughs> now i'm so curious i'll have to find out from anna yeah 
But also in terms of like the walking down the aisle thing, I was actually thinking about this fairly recently because I was watching another movie where somebody was getting married. And um, I think that when I get married, I'm just going to have both my parents walk me down the aisle. Yeah, that sounds nice. Yeah. Anyway, so back to this movie and this wedding. Uh, Muriel is walking through, you know, the reception. She's kind of looking at the various men around, keeping an eye out for any potential suitors. And that's when an older gentleman comes up to her and starts complimenting her eye-catching dress. She's wearing like a a bold animal print. And he pulls her aside to talk and he asks her to give her father his card and tell him that Leo Higgins thinks he's the best council president that this town's ever had. And she asks Leo what happened to his nose because he has like a a pretty bad like it's like purple blister on it. Yeah. yeah. And he says, it's just sunburn, that's all. So Muriel's I'm curious like, why they okay. added that. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know like what, what the other man? implication is, but she then goes to walk down the stairs when another woman across the party named Diane is staring at her very intently. Mm-hmm. So downstairs, Mariel hears noises and like no one is really down there. So she opens the door or she doesn't even open it. She just goes over to the yeah. door where she's hearing all the noise and peeks through and Nicole is having sex with Chuck, like, on his <sighs> wedding day, too. Yeah. Insane. Yeah. So later on, we see the police arrive at the party and come up to Muriel, and they ask to have a word with her. And she's just like, you know, what is this about? And they're like, your dress. And the woman who was eyeing her before tells Muriel she saw her steal it. Oh, my God. So they take Muriel away and the police ask Diane for her number if they need a statement, you know, in case uh, Muriel can't find the receipt or whatever. And she gives it to them and tells them to ask for Diane, senior store detective. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> and Diane tells him she had the perfect record until she lost her in boys wear. And they ask how she knew Muriel would be here, but she's like, oh, I didn't. You know, I'm the groom's cousin. So like... You're just You're a off fucking the nosy <laughs> yeah. bitch, bro. You're nosy. Yeah. So after this uh, arrest fiasco at the wedding, we go back to Muriel's house. It's She lives in the t- fictional town of Porpoise Spit. <laughs> Incredible name. And Bill, Muriel's father, is talking on the phone to somebody about how, you know, it's as good as approved. The Porpoise Spit Council backs him 100%. They'll talk about it at dinner tonight with his entire family. Meanwhile... Muriel's little sister Penelope is spinning around the room and she bumps into something and her dad is like, will you go somewhere else? And asks Muriel's mother, his wife, to uh, make her a cup of tea. His wife, Betty, is just kind of like staring off into the distance. And I think actually Betty is maybe the most tragic character in this whole movie. 100%. I mean, we talk, we say this all the time on the pod that like moms get shit on, but like this Ooh. is really like – prime example number one yeah definitely and there are uh, like a lot of moments in the movie where i don't necessarily write it out but she's like very despondent Mm -hmm. and just like not there yeah absolutely so penelope sits down in the living room with her other siblings and calls out to her mother again so she comes to and like finally starts making the tea 
She puts a cup with water and a tea bag in the microwave. And meanwhile, one of her siblings, I think it's one of her brothers, looks out the window and sees a police car pulling up. And they're like, oh, Muriel's back. Mm. So in the kitchen, Muriel's father asks her if she stole the dress and she says no. And he asks where she got the money because she hasn't had a job in two years. And Muriel says that her mom gave it to her. But Betty is like, oh, um, I don't think I did. Like not really ratting her out, but kind of yeah. just like there's also this insane um, angry tension that her father has with literally everyone mm-hmm. in the house. So it definitely feels like he is a bully and she doesn't want to face the repercussions of her father if she yeah. were to say like, oh, I did give her the money. So Bill tells her to go find the receipt and Muriel walks away to, you know, find the receipt and she goes into her room and the cops tell him that if she can't find the receipt, they'll have to ask the store if they want to press charges. And he asks the cops if they know who he is. And they're like, yes, sir, Counselor Heslop. And Bill's like, oh, who are you? And one guy, I think his name is Brad, he's like, oh, I'm I'm this person. And he's like, oh, your dad, like, how is he? Um how is he? Like, he had a heart attack. You know, I haven't seen you since you played fullback on, like, the football court or something. And he just starts chatting with him. Like, he's clearly a guy who knows everyone in town. Mm-hmm. And Muriel's sister, Joni, peeks out of her room and she tells her, you're terrible, Miriam. Muriel. <laughs> you're terrible, Muriel. <laughs> just, like, the most, like, sinister little phrase. Yeah. So Bill offers the cops a beer before they get back to work, and he's like, Betty, go get them the beers. I'm looking at a character list. I don't think there's anybody. Is Penelope, is that supposed to be Joni? No, that Penelope is the little sister who's like dancing around when we first see Bill. Gotcha, gotcha. She's like in literally two scenes. Gotcha. Yeah, because I was like, I don't remember. Because I also don't remember like any of the family members' names. I don't know. So I know it's like Perry, Joni, Penelope, because he yells. She's like, Penelope, go somewhere else. Yeah. But I don't know the the other brother's name, the brother that's not Perry. I don't even think that he's named. <laughs> it's so weird. Yeah. So we go upstairs to Muriel's room, and she has put a cassette in her cassette player This is our first ABBA moment of the film where we hear Dancing Queen playing. We also see that her room is like completely covered in ABBA posters and she just sings along to the song kind of like emotionlessly because she's obviously like heard the song a million billion times. Yeah. And we like pan over to the other side of her room, which has this huge collage of just like bridal images like wedding dresses centerpieces Mm -hmm. etc and she holds up the bouquet which she stole from the wedding so i mean she is a little bit of a klepto (laughs) already (laughs) she has some issues with things yeah yeah she likes to take things and uh she just looks at herself in the mirror envisioning herself as a bride so this is kind of like one of her main motivations throughout the movie is she really aspires to 
be a bride. And I mean, it's pretty clear that in her town, that's kind of like all that's expected of women and like all that they should aspire to. Yeah, definitely. It's like having an accomplishment, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the the moments where she listens to Abba, it's like very self-soothing. It's like yes. putting on a movie that you know really well to make yourself like feel better. Totally. So it's already a very interesting glimpse into the life of the Heslops. Yeah. So after this, Bill waves goodbye to the cops who are leaving with like a huge rack of beer. And Muriel watches from her bedroom window. She sees the cops leaving and also like her father staring out. Then we go to, I believe it's called the rickshaw room. It's like a Chinese restaurant where the Heslops are dining with Victor Kinosuke and his mate Akira. The waiter comes over. His name is Charlie Chan. And he's like, Bill introduces him to the guests. And Charlie is like, oh, you know, he got my uncle up from China. And he's like, yeah, I spoke to immigration for them. <laughs> and Charlie just tells the guests that Bill is a great man. And he like introduces them and says that they're building a resort on Wallam Beach and you know they might want a Chinese restaurant in it so keep the food coming. He's such a slimy schmoozy like mm-hmm. ugh can't stand it. Yeah. And after he leaves he tells the men it's all in the house, you know, he got his uncle out from China. Victor tells Bill he's done a lot for the people of this town and Bill's like, "Oh, who told you that?" And he's like you did. <laughs> then Bill's like, oh, yeah, I ran for state government once and, like, has Joni stand up. She's wearing his campaign shirt oh, and it says, Bill Heslop, you can't stop progress. But he lost. Or he says he's glad that he lost because he can do more for porpoise spit on a grassroots level, like high rises, malls, resorts. Porpoise spit council believes in progress. I can't deal with this guy so he then tells Muriel that when Victor was 19 he was a millionaire and Bill tells Victor that Kylie Jenner yeah oh my gosh (laughs) self-made and Bill tells Victor that Muriel is on the dole which as we mentioned like is unemployment and so is Perry and Muriel says that she actually has a job interview next week to be an apprentice locksmith. And Betty says, Muriel, that sounds wonderful. But Bill says she's a bit old to be an apprentice. She's a bit old for everything. She's, what, 21, 22, I believe? I think at this time she's 22. Yeah. So he then talks about how Muriel failed high school, and then he got her into this secretarial school. He says it was just $2,000 down the drain, And then he got her a job at a solicitor's office, but she got fired because she couldn't type. And Muriel says that she could type. Why would they give her a diploma at secretary school if she couldn't type? And he just, like, explodes at her and yells, because I paid for it. Yeah. And it is just, like, the most dehumanizing thing to see, like, the way that he treats his daughter. Muriel is stunned by this outburst. And Bill says that she just lays around the house all day and he calls her useless. He actually calls all of his children useless Mm -hmm. and says they're a bunch of useless no-hoppers. So after this, like, really 
humiliating moment for everybody. Who decides to stroll by but Deidre? She comes over and Bill is like, oh my god, Deidre, like, pull up a chair. And he introduces her to Victor and he says that she is a sales rep for a beauty brand. And she says, actually, I'm a beauty consultant. And she's like, (laughs) you know, she's got a little bit of a perm in her hair and more like, quote unquote, fashionable clothing on. And Deidre tells them that she advises women on eyeliner and lipsticks, although she's sure they know all about makeup. You know, their wives are probably geishas. So crazy. Lovely little, um, you know, microaggression thrown in there. And Betty then tells Deidre that she looks lovely and Deidre ignores her and just asks Muriel how the wedding was. And Perry tells her that Muriel was arrested and Deidre is like, ah, to be 22 again. (laughs) She then turns to Betty and like actually acknowledges her presence and is like, oh, don't you remember being that age? And Betty is still kind of despondent, but she agrees. And Deidre says that, oh, Betty, you were probably a terror when you were 22. You know, Bill, wasn't she a terror? But Bill just goes, where's the food? Yeah. So we have this little fucked up little triangle Mm -hmm. with Bill, Deidre, and Betty. It's very clear that, like, Bill and Deidre have an affair going on at the moment. Right. And Betty is so, she's such a sweetheart. Yeah. And it sucks because she just gets walked all over. Mm-hmm. Um, so the next scene is in the casino. I'm assuming they're in some sort of like complex, either like yeah. a resort or a casino where they were in the restaurant and they walk over there. And Bill leads the men through the casino. Meanwhile, Muriel is grabbing a soda and Deidre comes up to her and says, you know, your dad said you were unemployed. I, I'd like you to come work for me. Like you can be a saleswoman at Radiant Cosmetics. Yeah. I will say it sounds like a pyramid scheme. Surely. This cosmetics company because she has to like buy the kits and then like sell them off. That sounds like an MLM. But <laughs> it's kind of giving like Avon. Yeah. Honestly, if I were her, I'd probably take it because – yeah, she doesn't really have yeah, a ton no of what's going on. But. So we then go to like the next day, another day, and Muriel is walking down the street and she walks past a bridal shop and she just watches this woman trying on her gown. Once again, the wedding is very important to her. So we then fast forward to the evening. We're at a nightclub called Breakers. And Tanya, who just got married a few days ago, is crying. And the girls are like, tell us what went wrong. Like, what's going on? Muriel comes over with her drink and sits with them. And Tanya tells them that Chuck couldn't get it up or he couldn't, like, perform um, during sex. So she gave him oral. But while she was doing that, she noticed that there was already lipstick on his dick. So Nicole, the bridesmaid who, you know, hooked up with him at the wedding, looks scared. And then Tanya, through tears, says that Chuck admitted to having an affair with Rose Biggs. 
wow. someone else. So Nicole is pissed off because she clearly thought she was the only one. And Tanya says he told her that they don't have sex. She only sucks him off out of respect to her. I can't stand <laughs> Tanya. So insufferable. I mean, honestly, her and Chuck, they deserve each other. But yeah, the girls call Rose a bitch. And Tanya says, you know, she's a bride. She's supposed to be euphoric right now. And Cheryl is like, you know what? Why don't you cash in your ticket to Bali and go on your honeymoon with us? Very, you know, sex in the city. Um, the girls going on Carrie's honeymoon with her. Tanya agrees and they all giggle so excited. And Muriel is like, oh, like you're all going on holiday because the other girls were already going on this holiday. They just want like Tanya to now join them instead of going on her honeymoon. Yeah. And Muriel obviously was like not invited on this pre-planned holiday. And Cheryl is like, oh, yeah, we're just we're just going to Hibiscus Island. Like it's it's no big deal. And then one of them is like, yeah, we didn't tell you because we didn't think you could afford it since you don't have a job. But awesome. Muriel says, oh, I I just got a job last night, actually. You know, I'm going to be a beauty consultant. And then one of them turns to Tanya and is like, okay, we need to tell her. And they're like, yeah, we were going to tell you after the holiday, but I think, like, we need to do it now. And then Nicole turns to Muriel to, like, tell her this secret. But Cheryl's like, wait. Wait until she's finished her orgasm. So Muriel sheepishly uh. sips the last of her screaming orgasm. And then Nicole tells her that, you know, people, they think that they're mad. You know, they're ragers. They go out to parties. Like, that's just their image. Like, they're the life of the party. And Muriel's like, yeah, yeah, we're, like, totally mad. And Nicole says, actually, we don't want you hanging around out with us anymore and muriel is kind of taken aback and she's like what do you mean like i, I promise i didn't steal the dress because she thinks this is about what happened at the wedding but the girls say that's not it you know she never does her hair she never wears the right mm. clothes she's fat she embarrasses them it's really it's really really brutal so awful yeah i i wonder how she started hanging out with them yeah, I assume that they were like, I don't know, maybe they weren't friends in high school because like of the the way that Rhonda and her like talk about them. I assume that Muriel yeah. wasn't in their friend group. So maybe it's just like after they graduated. I think that they're just like some of the last people who like didn't leave the town. Yeah, that's what I'm getting the, yeah. the vibe of. But yeah, so Muriel tells them that she's trying to change and she can be more like them. But they tell her it's too late. She'll still be her. Just a Brutal. horrible, like, devastating thing to mm -hmm. say. And Tanya tells Muriel that she needs to find friends who are on her level. Like how she found Chuck. He's on her level and marrying him was the happiest day of her life. And then Tanya just starts crying about how much she loves Chuck and tells them that, you know, She'll show him she's going to go on this holiday and she's going to sleep with a thousand men. And Muriel, meanwhile, is still reeling from, you know, what the fuck has just happened. And she right. cries and she says she's got nothing. And then they're like, Muriel, think of someone else. Like, Tanya's upset right now. 
and I just want to scream into the void. They're really awful people. <laughs> yeah. Muriel tells them that she's not nobody, and she asks them not to throw her out of the group, and she keeps sobbing, but they tell her once again that she's just embarrassing. Awful, terrible, horrible people. Yeah, that whole interaction is like very much middle school. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like I've had this conversation with the girls who like dumped me from their friend group in middle school, except like different context, but right. same vibes. Oh my God. I was, I was also dumped from a friend group in middle school. Wow. It happens. Middle school it happens. sucks. Yeah. <laughs> Awful. So we go back to the house. It's another day and Perry is just kicking around like an empty carton in the backyard and pretends to announce a football game. And he's like, Perry Haslop shoots it for the goal and like blah, blah, blah. And Bill yells down. He's like, wake up yourself. Tells him to like, you know, mow the lawn, like do the chores. And after he leaves, Perry just goes back to playing pretend. Then inside, Bill asks Betty if Perry applied to the police force, and she tells him he did, but they wouldn't let him sit for the test because he's too tall. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. And then he asks if Muriel is up, and Betty calls out to Muriel to wake her up. He tells Betty to make sure Muriel sees Deidre about the cosmetics job and to just give her a blank check for the cosmetics. And in her room... Muriel is just laying there, unresponsive. Bill gives Betty some more orders. He's like, you know, make sure Joni cleans up. And Betty exacts Bill's orders. She, like, goes into Muriel's room to make sure she sees Deidre and gives her the blank check. Betty and Muriel actually sit together on her bed, and Betty tells her it's wonderful that Deidre is giving her a job and that she is a wonderful person no matter what people say. And Muriel's like, wait, what are they saying about her? But Betty doesn't spill. And at this moment, I was like, oh, uh, probably that Dietrich is sleeping with Bill. Yeah. And Betty just instead asks her who she's supposed to make the check out to, Deidre or Radiant Cosmetics. But Muriel tells her to just make it out to cash. And then she asks her again, like, what are people saying about Deidre? And Betty tells her that people say they go driving at night, but Bill's only showing her his developments, you know, the sites that he's building on. (sighs) Poor Betty. I know. And she's just, like, really interested in, like, expecting the best in people. Mm. And it's so hard to see because I think – you know, it's easy to say, like, if you were in her situation, you would stand up for yourself or, like, yeah, you wouldn't get bogged down. But when it's your own family that's, like, not respecting you and mm-hmm. not, like, viewing you as human, like, it's really easy to just shut down because it's, like, oh, I can't escape. Like, yeah, what is she supposed to do? Like, leave, you know? And then people right. would be, like, oh, she left her family. Like, there – it can feel, like, very – suffocating yeah and especially on top of that the fact that like her partner does nothing but belittle her and her kids Mm -hmm. and so she probably thinks like yeah i deserve this like this i'm lucky to be with him like that he would be with somebody as as nothing as me because that's how he treats her 
that like added layer. It's just so mm-hmm. it's so sad. Yeah. Betty gives Mariel the check and she tells her that she's going to be a success. She's going to get married and be a success. And Betty tells her she knows she will. You know, her dad just wants to be proud of her. And Muriel tells her that she'll show him. She's going to show them all. Mm. It's nice that her mom believes in her. Yeah. And that's really the only the only support that she has at this point in the movie. But I think that yeah. she's like so, I mean, rightfully so, very petrified of ending up like her mother, ending up in a situation mm. like the one that her mother is in. And that's why she decides to do what she does. So we go to Hibiscus Island where (laughs) Muriel's ex-friends are participating in a little talent competition as the Tropical Delights. And they have like fruit covered outfits and they're singing the tide is high. And these men are like gawking at these hot women dancing in, you know, coconut bikinis. And while they're performing... Who do they spot but Muriel in the crowd? Oh, my God. She has taken herself to Hibiscus Island. Oh, my gosh. They start freaking out, and they go up to her, Um, and Muriel is like, oh, my gosh, hi. What a coincidence. But fucking insane. Tanya just, like, throws a drink in her face. She throws a drink at her. Insane. She throws a drink at her face. Yeah. That's, like, the most, I think – one of the most disrespectful things you can do. Mm-hmm. Definitely. That's like finding your fiance cheating on you at a restaurant mm-hmm. and, you know, you throw a drink in, in their face. face. Yeah. Yeah. But like, sheesh. Oh, yeah. So she throws this drink in her face and says to keep away from them. And they like walk away. And then Cheryl hangs back for a second and just looks at her and says, You've got no dignity, Muriel. Yeah, maybe because you guys all fucking took it away from her with the way that you treat her. Literally everyone is trying to take away Muriel's dignity. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that night at dinner, Muriel is wearing – I called it an impossibly gaudy red sequin dress. <laughs> yeah. And I, it depends on your taste, but I right. really feel like – there's a clear shift between the beginning of the movie and how she dresses and her hair and makeup and then um, towards like the last three quarters or last yeah. half of the movie where she seems more in her body and like mm-hmm. more herself. Totally. Um, and it feels like in the beginning she kind of dresses a little bit wacky, a little bit flashy in order to kind of just feel like she is fitting in, I guess. Yeah, or maybe to, like, follow trends a little bit more or like kind of, yeah. like, emulate the style that her friends have because, like, what they wear is pretty, like, gaudy and tacky. Um, like, yeah. the the wedding dress and, like, the bridesmaids' dresses are very much, like, 80s style. Oh or when they perform. Yeah. When they, like, have their little tropical dance mm-hmm. thingy. For sure. Yeah. So she's eating her dinner and a woman peers over and asks if she is Muriel Heslop. And Muriel's like, oh, no. But this woman's like, no, yes, you are. I'm Rhonda Eppenstock. I dropped out in year 11 a year after you. So apparently they went to high school together and 
Rhonda asked the man sitting next to Muriel to like swap seats with her. And Rhonda's like, oh, did you get married? You said your name wasn't Heslop anymore. And Muriel's like, oh, I'm engaged to uh, Tim Sims. (laughs) And Rhonda's like, oh, what's he like? And she's like, like, no one. (laughs) Like, no one. Oh, Tony Collette, you kill me. (laughs) Yeah. So later on, Rhonda asks where Tim Sims is, and Muriel's like, I I don't know. And (laughs) (laughs) that exact melody, too. She goes, I don't know where he is. Rhonda's like, oh, Muriel, I'm on to you. You know, you're here without your fiance. You're not wearing an engagement ring. You're here for one last fling. And Muriel's like, ah, you got me. (laughs) I suppose so. (laughs) So Rhonda's like, well, stick with me because I'm wicked too. You know, my whole life is just one last fling after another. And one thing that I I love about Rhonda, and like we kind of like touched on this just now with like the fashion, is that Rhonda, she has like a short, not like a pixie cut, but she has short kind of like spiky black hair. She like Mm -hmm. looks very cool. Um, And it's pretty clear that like she lives in the big city and she like has her own style. And it's very contrasting to like the girls back at Porpoise Spit. She looks more elegant and like classic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. So Muriel asks Rhonda if she remembers Tanya Degano. And says, oh, you know, she got married to that guy, Chuck. And Rhonda calls them a pair of assholes who deserve each other. Very apt description, I would say. Mm -hmm. And Rhonda says, you know, whenever she thinks about how revolting Porpoise Spit was, she thinks about Tanya and her crew and how they made her life a living hell. And she asks Muriel if she's ever dreamed of what she would say to them if she saw them now. And Muriel says, I do see them now. They're right over there. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So cut to the girls at the other table. Rhonda Mm -hmm. looks over and asks what they're doing here. And Muriel tells her that they're on Tanya's honeymoon because uh, Chuck couldn't come. So not like to the honeymoon. Like he couldn't finish. (laughs) Wait, what? I was just making like a joke because like he couldn't. Oh, oh, oh. (laughs) But okay. I was like, oh, my God. Is that what they actually meant? I do think Um, it like it could be a a double. A double entendre. yeah. 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 So the next day on Hibiscus Island, Rhonda sees Tanya and her crew by the pool and she comes over and Tanya's like, oh my God, I can't believe it. It's Rhonda. We haven't seen you since Porpoise Spit. Hi. And she asks how she is and Tanya holds out her hand and she's like, married. Oh God. (laughs) Rhonda tells her, you know, Muriel told her and looks at the ring and goes, turkey, right? (laughs) And Tanya corrects her, and she's like, Chuck. And Rhonda's like, oh, congratulations. Then Tanya kind of, like, looks mischievous, and she tells her to come have a drink with them. And Rhonda is floored. Like, she's really surprised that Tanya's inviting her to hang out with them. And in the background, Muriel looks so sad. She's like, oh, I made a friend, and she's about Mm. to desert me for Tanya and the girls. And Tanya's like, you know, we're not in high school anymore. We can't let you spend the whole holiday alone. She doesn't have to feel not good enough for them now. And Rhonda says, I don't. 
And Tanya tells her if she feels she's changed, then she'll tell her she's honest, unlike some people, you know, insinuating Muriel. Yeah. And Rhonda says that she tells the truth, too. Nicole is having an affair with Chuck. Muriel saw them in the laundry on her wedding day. And she tells Tiny to stick her drink up her ass. She'd rather swallow razor blades than share a drink with her. And she's not alone. She's with Muriel. Boom. Mic drop. Beautiful. This reminded me, um, I mean, obviously, like, not totally, but, like, it reminded me a little bit of in Romeo and Michelle's high school reunion when, like, yeah, Lisa comes back and she's, like, cool now and she sees, like, the the small town girls and she's, like, not today, ladies. Oh, definitely. This um, – there were a lot of moments that reminded me of Romeo and Michelle – then, then it was like also very sad moments. Then it was yes. like this is not like that movie. Yeah, but I if if only it were that lighthearted. But unfortunately, I mean not unfortunately, it's a good movie. It just mm-hmm. it is sad. It is a it's yeah. a dark comedy. It's also this moment is the first time it seems like Muriel has ever had someone stand up for her. Yes, and that's like definitely. a very special moment for her. Mm-hmm. So. Now it's talent show part two, and who does an incredibly campy performance? But Muriel and Rhonda, they're in I full performance, 70s garb, they're ABBA best, and they are singing Waterloo. It is so much fun. I really love this scene. And like as they perform, they like walk forward. We see Muriel and Tanya make eye contact. And we also see that Nicole has a black eye. So Tanya clearly yeah. punched her out. <laughs> and the boys that like Tanya and her crew are with are loving Muriel and Rhonda's performance. And we like see mm-hmm. Muriel just get more and more confident. She's having a good time. She's letting her freak flag fly. And during the performance, I can't remember exactly what happens. I think that like Tanya looks over at Nicole and Nicole, Nicole gives her like a look and then they like break out into a fight. Like they just start attacking each other. Yeah. And um, at the end of the day, Rhonda and Muriel win the talent competition. Yay. Yeah. They look amazing during this performance. Mm-hmm. I love it so much. It's so much fun. What a great schmall mean schmallstum. If only we were a blonde and a brunette. Oh, my God. Wait. Wait. What if only one of us had long hair and one of us had curly hair? Oh, Oh, wait. wait. Anyways. (laughs) Back in Porpoise Spit, the Heslops receive a letter from Muriel. It's like a little postcard from Hibiscus Island. And she says, you know, me and the girls are having a great time. I sold $100 of cosmetics to Barry Crocker. And Betty says that this cosmetics thing is the best thing that ever happened to Muriel. She paid for the holiday herself, bought new clothes, new suitcases. And Bill asks Perry if he's listening to this. You know, Muriel's gone out and made something of herself. And he admits that she's really impressed him. And he told her that on the way to the airport. He said, you can't type, but you've really impressed me. (laughs) And the guy from the wedding... Leo is like dining with them and tells the Heslops that they call Bill, Bill the Battler, because he's a little Aussie battler battling for porpoise spit. (laughs) And 
I don't know like why it's so weird because some people really like him as a politician, but I can't tell if it's just like coded in he's a corrupt guy or if they actually like him, but it turns out he sucks as a person. I mean, I think it's a bit of both. I think there's also a lot of like kissassery going on with this guy in particular. Yeah. Then they notice Deidre in the restaurant and Betty's face drops. Bill calls out to her. He's like, Deidre, Deidre. She's like, oh, what a coincidence. And he invites her to sit down with them, introduces her to Leo Higgins. He is doing the concrete for Wallen Beach, which is probably why he canoodled with Muriel at the wedding. Yeah. To do the concrete. And Bill tells Leo that Deidre got Muriel into this cosmetics gig and asks Perry to show her the postcard. So Deidre takes the postcard and reads it over, and we see her face drop. Yeah. So we go into the casino, and Deidre goes over to Bill and tells her that in the past two weeks, Muriel has bought two kits from her at about $40 each. And if she'd sold them, she'd make around $30. Again, this is a pyramid scheme. Um, But Bill is like, what do you mean? She's on a $3,000 holiday right now. She's making a fortune. Isn't she? Yikes. No, she's not. So we go back to Hibiscus Island and... We see, like, it's nighttime. Muriel is splashing around in the pool in her ABBA costume. Um, Her and Rhonda end up, like, lying together, I think, on the beach. And Mm -hmm. she asks Rhonda if she thinks she could be famous. And Rhonda asks what for. And Muriel says, maybe I could be an actress, you know. I'm mental enough. (laughs) And then the two of them just, like, quietly sing Waterloo together while they're looking up at the sky. I love this moment so, so much. It was so precious, and especially in a, in a movie that's been kind of like a little bit wacky and like weird just to have this like very grounded moment of these two women who have like clicked and they're kind of like sharing a bond. They both have a love for ABBA and they're just like singing together and we see like Muriel actually feel comfortable in her skin. Mm-hmm. And then Muriel looks up at the sky and she starts singing Fernando and they sing that together too. Uh. And after they finish singing, Muriel asks Rhonda if she ever thinks that she's nothing because sometimes she does. She thinks that she's useless. But Rhonda tells Muriel she's not nothing. She was amazing in school and, you know, she was so quiet she could hardly talk and she couldn't even look at people. But now... She's a success, and someone wants to marry her. She's made it. Uh, I love their friendship so much. Yeah, it's like, it's really important to Muriel to, like, have somebody who affirms her. Because, again, other than her mother, who who tries, like, she's really never had yeah. anybody accept her the way that Rhonda has, like, so instantly. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And it's also hard because her mom even can't really be there for her because she has been shut down so heavily already. Mm -hmm. So in the morning, Muriel is leaving Hibiscus Island. She takes a cab to the airport and looks at the photo of her and Rhonda. Then back at the house, Muriel 
gets home in a taxi to her catatonic sister and mother. And Joni turns to her and tells her, you're terrible, Muriel. (laughs) And Betty tells her that her father is so angry. The $12,000 is gone. He's coming back from the bank soon and he'll want to talk with her. And Betty asks her if she did anything bad with the blank checks that she gave her. She's like, you wouldn't do that to me, Muriel, right? And Muriel says no. And that was like also really hard to see because her mom, uh, just like the way that it's going to be taken out is going to be on her mom. Oh, yeah, because she's the one who gave her the checks. Right. And then she picks up her bags when her mom and Joni have turned away and just notices that the cab's still outside. She she just goes right back in. Yeah. And Betty watches her leave from the window as Fernando plays and and the cab driver asks Muriel, where to? And where does she go? Sydney. Sydney, Australia. The big old (laughs) city of Sydney. So some time has passed. We see, you know, some B-roll of Sydney and Muriel actually has a job. She is working in a video shop. She's arranging some videos. She looks great. She has a new haircut. And Mm -hmm. this is a, a bit of a personal tangent, but I've been like going back and forth for weeks now about if I want to do like a big chop. And I'm like, oh my God, is this another sign? Am I supposed to cut my hair? And then I had like a whole spiral about it. But if anyone has any opinions, <laughs> let me know. <laughs> yeah, like going from kind of like you have like you very easily have like beachy mermaid hair. It's just like super long and gorgeous and shiny. And then if you do like a cut, it would be so much more structured. So yeah. it's like a totally different look. It just depends on your vibe. Exactly. And I spent so long like growing my hair out because last time I had it short would have been like, I guess like 2021 was the last time I did like a big chop. Mm-hmm. And I've just been like steadily growing it out over the past like year and a half. And now I'm like, <laughs> I need a change, but I don't know if I want to commit to that. So we'll see. We'll see. I'm not going to make any rash yeah. decisions. But the the point of it is Muriel looks great. I really love this haircut on her. Like, Oh, she looks fantastic. And the yeah. shade of red that her hair is suits her skin tone much better. Mm-hmm. It's like this beautiful, darkish, auburn, coppery color. Yeah, and, like, as much as this movie tries to, like, tell us that Muriel's ugly, like, Tony Collette will never be ugly, and... Um, oh, yeah, she's beautiful. Yeah, like, this hair, I feel like, really brings out her her really stunning features. hmm So, she's working at this video shop, and she's watching the tape of Princess Diana's Wedding. Interesting that this is, like, another Diana reference in an international film that we've done. Um, Because there's also, like, all the Princess Diana stuff in Amelie. But, like, people love Princess Diana. It always Mm -hmm. is, whenever it comes back in a movie or something, I'm always like, oh, my God. Like, she was, yeah, like, essentially the Kim Kardashian or, like, Paris Hilton level of fame. She was the people's princess, you know? Everybody loved her worldwide. But I guess, like, also, like, I know that, 
like she was very popular in Canada, which makes sense because like we're a Commonwealth country and so is Australia. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, she just keeps like re like rewinding and watching this footage over and over again of her like exiting the carriage and going into the the church and we see this guy like kind of walking around loitering in the video shop suspiciously like picks up a video brings it over and she is you know checking him out asking for his info he gives her his card number 92 and his name is bryce nobs 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 bryce nobs i think yeah muriel looks him up in the system and sees that he actually takes out a lot of videos and they laugh and she's like oh you should join our video addicts club it's for people who take out too many videos you know you get a new dollar off of every new release and he's like haha um i was wondering would you like to go out with me oh my god yeah. he been asked on a date and just at that time, the phone rings. Who is it? It's Rhonda. She's also at work at, I think, the dry cleaners. Yeah. And she's like, oh, Muriel, I can't find us any dates for tomorrow night. Like, I'm so bummed. And Muriel's like, oh, don't worry. I got one. And Rhonda is super excited yeah. for her. And she pulls out her binoculars because we see that, like, she's literally working across the street. And Muriel has Bryce, like, turn around to look at the dry cleaner so that Rhonda can get My a goodness. look at him. And Rhonda's like, oh, well, that's a start. Like, oh, let's meet for lunch so I can hear all the deeds. This is like a very funny, cute little moment. And again, was reminding me of Romy and Michelle where it's just like, you know, two girls living in the city, like looking for dates. Yeah. Yeah. Living with your BFF and like Mm -hmm. working together. And yeah. So at lunch, Muriel tells Rhonda that this is her new life and she's a new person. So she wants to change her name to Mariel. Like M A R I E L. And Rhonda looks at her seriously. And I thought she was gonna like chide her for this name change, but she's just like, Muriel, are you on the run from the law? <laughs> and she looks like <laughs> visually like worried. And Rhonda's like, it's okay if you are. Like, I just wanna know. Then Muriel tells her that Tim, her ex fiance, was a cop and he said if she ever left him he'd find out who she was living with and shoot them and then shoot her and then shoot himself oh my god and Rhonda's like wow he really loved you didn't he (laughs) guys this is a tangled web you're weaving Mario yes (laughs) so we go to the club that night and Rhonda is just, you know, living her best life on the dance floor while Muriel and Bryce are sitting at a table. He doesn't really seem to be that into the club scene. They both honestly look like pretty uncomfortable. Yeah. And Muriel tells him that, you know, Rhonda changed her life. And he's like, hey, do you want to like go somewhere else? And Muriel's like, but Rhonda wants to stay here. And Rhonda eventually like sits down with them at the booth and she's like, oh, I'm going. I've got a date. And we cut to a sailor and a shirtless man. She has uh, two dates and they're both American. Oh, my gosh. So before she leaves, she tells Muriel to have fun. Don't do anything I wouldn't do. And off they go. 
Muriel then asks Bryce to dance, but he says he's a terrible dancer. But Muriel says she doesn't care, so they get up to dance, and Bryce just, you know, he's not the most comfortable. Looks a little silly, but it's okay. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it ends up going pretty well. They do go back to Muriel and Rhonda's flat. They're both, you know, kind of awkward, but... They seem to be getting along, and Muriel offers to make him tea. While this is happening, Rhonda is having just a whole ass threesome with her two Americans, and we can hear like mm-hmm. the whooping and hollering as Muriel puts in the tea bags and like takes out some biscuits. And they turn on the news. And the story is about this storm that devastated Hibiscus Island. So Muriel tells Bryce that she and Rhonda went to that island and he tells her it looks like fun and he actually puts his arm around her. Ooh. The next story is about counselor Bill Heslop, (gasps) who admitted to taking secret payments from a Japanese land developer. Oh, my. Yeah. Shot. Can't believe that he's corrupt. Whoa. And his whole defense is that his judgment had been impaired by the disappearance of his daughter, Muriel. And Bryce tries to talk to Muriel, but he's like, Muriel. And she's like, Muriel, Muriel, Muriel. (laughs) And there's this whole kerfuffle. And on TV, Bill says to camera, we don't care about the money. We just want to make sure you're all right. Muriel changes the channel to something like, looks like a sexy music video. It looks like porn, honestly. I was like, what is yeah, on TV? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> and Bryce kisses Muriel. Muriel starts giggling. She's like having a good time. And he tells Muriel that he has to tell her something. He's a parking inspector. <laughs> and she's like, oh, that's okay. And they start getting undressed. Then Bryce tries to, like, unzip Muriel's pants. She's wearing, like, some kind of, like, faux leather or, like, rubber plasticky yeah. pants. They have a zipper on the side. But he accidentally unzips the beanbag chair instead. And when he tries to, like, take her pants off, he ends up flying backwards, <laughs> knocking over the birdcage. It, like, goes out the window. And yeah. this – like startles everyone in the other room and the guys like run out muriel's laughing uncontrollably and the guys think bryce like hurt her or something because of the noise and these guys are like i think they're marines or in the military yeah they're big dudes oh they're sailors she says yeah yeah so they like pin him to the ground it's like (laughs) insane muriel's laughing uncontrollably and then Rhonda also runs out she's like has like a blanket covering her up and she kind of like staggers backwards and then falls to the ground and just out of nowhere says to Muriel, I can't feel my legs. Yeah. So in like a very shocking turn of events, really out of nowhere, we go to the hospital while like Muriel is waiting for Rhonda. She's being checked out by the doctor. She calls home and Joni picks up. And she asks what dad is on TV for and tells her that they're saying that, you know, he's taking bribes. And Muriel asks if it's true. And Joni says, yeah, because you stole all of our money. And now dad's moved out and he keeps saying that it's mom's fault. 
because she's the one who gave you the checks. So that's when Betty comes in and asks if it's Bill who's calling, but Joni says it's Muriel, so Betty takes the phone and asks where Muriel is. Muriel tells her that she's in Sydney, and Betty tells her that Bill is there right now for his inquiry. You know, he would love to Mm. see her. Muriel mentions that he's moved out, and Betty says, oh, it was only for his health's sake. You know, Dr. Farrell says that he needed a holiday from us. And I'm like, Betty, my girl. Yeah. So Betty says she knows he thinks it's her fault for giving her the money, but she didn't think that Muriel would do a thing like that. You know, maybe it was a mistake at the bank or she wrote the wrong figure on the check, but Muriel admits that she did take the money. It wasn't her fault. Mm. And then Perry informs Betty that the federal police are here and Betty tells Muriel that they're raiding the house again and asks for her number so she can call her later. Muriel tells her she doesn't have a phone and Betty asks for at least her address and tells her that her father is staying at the Hilton. The police tell Betty that they want to ask her some questions about Bill, and Muriel just hangs up the phone. Yeah. I mean, he met with those guys before Muriel stole the money. He's absolutely using her as a scapegoat for sure, and, like, Betty is the one who has to deal with the fallout of all of it. Yeah. It's just a horrible cycle. Mm -hmm. Cut back to the hospital in Sydney, and the doctor explains to Rhonda that there's a tumor pressing on her spine, and that's cutting off the flow of electricity to her legs, so he'd like to operate in the next 24 hours. Although it's, like, you know, shocking to hear, she, Rhonda's, like, pretty calm, and she's like, oh, what caused it, you know? And the doctor tells her they don't know what causes cancer, and Rhonda and Muriel are like, cancer? Yeah. Like, they didn't realize it was a whole other thing. And they're really shocked, but the doctor explains that this is isolated. You know, she won't need chemo. All she needs right now is the surgery. Then Rhonda asks about the risks, and the doctor says it's possible there could be damage to the spinal cord. Rhonda tells Muriel basically it means she's fucked. Yeah, this isn't, like, a turn that I was necessarily expecting the movie to take. Not at all. (laughs) Yeah, like, they're leading us down a very specific path of, like, we had the two girls in the city, and, like, they're living, Mm -hmm. laughing, loving, and then all of a sudden, like, boom. Yeah. Life-altering illness. I need people to stop making these shows and movies where the best friend who's whimsical and loves life Mm -hmm. gets cancer. We need to put a kibosh on that one. It's too much. There's only so much that my heart can take. My little heart. <laughs> so after, you know, this, this devastating news, uh, we see Muriel walking down the street and she sees a bridal shop. So this time she actually decides to go in and she starts admiring one of the dresses and the saleswoman tells her, oh, yes, Silk Chantal imported when's your big day and muriel looks at her for a moment but then just says september and the saleswoman goes oh spring ivory and this is when i remember that in australia the seasons are different and oh yeah fall is not in september (laughs) there (laughs) so we then cut to muriel trying on the dress 
and, you know, it gets zipped up. She has the tights, the shoes, the whole nine. And Muriel sees herself in the gown and the veil, and she starts to tear up. And the saleswoman asks what her fiance's name is, and she says, Bill. And they <sighs> ask if her mom will come to see the dress, but Muriel says she can't. She's in hospital with a tumor. Oh. She has to have an operation. She's a big fat liar. Mm-hmm. And then the women in the shop are like, well, we don't normally do this, but your mother needs to see how beautiful you look in that dress. So they take out a little Polaroid camera and start taking pictures of Muriel. Wow. So Muriel goes back to her flat, pulls out an album, and begins putting pictures of her in the wedding dress in a wedding album. Mm. Then we cut to a physical therapy place and Rhonda is on these two bars learning how to walk again after the surgery. And she takes a couple of steps and just like is so belabored. She's holding onto the rails, but she is in so much pain, so exhausted that she has to sit down. So um, the instructor like holds her and asks Muriel to get her chair and she wheels it over and Rhonda just collapses into it and begins to cry. And she asks Muriel how she can stand this. She pushes her around in this chair all day. She cooks for her. She even helps her get dressed. But Muriel tells her that when she lived in Porpoise Spit, all she did all day was listen to ABBA songs and sit in her room. Sometimes she'd sit in there all day. But since moving to Sydney with her, she hasn't listened to ABBA once because now her life is as good as an ABBA song. I mean, it's it's a cheesy line, but I do love it. I love it too. I think that this is so sweet. Yeah. But Rhonda is like, oh, come off it. But I think she does take it to heart because she yeah. makes Muriel promise that no matter what, they never move back to Porpoise Spit. She can't go back and live with her mom, not in a wheelchair. And Muriel tells her, like, you're going to walk. Like, we're going to rehabilitate you. You're, you're going to walk. So we then get this montage where we see Muriel looking at ads for wedding dresses. We see a ton of, like, like different wedding dress shops, basically, like, in the phone book kind of thing. And there's tons of circles and X's. We see... At the flat, someone comes to the door. It's transportation to the rehab center for Rhonda, and it's, like, a cute guy. So she, like, smiles at him and goes to grab her smokes. Meanwhile, Muriel gets her Polaroid camera, and she puts a little sign on the door of the video shop saying, be back in 10. At the same time, Rhonda goes to grab her cigarettes and goes into Muriel's room. That is when she finds the album of muriel in all these different wedding dresses so, like this is something she's been doing very consistently just going to like every single bridal shop mm -hmm. in sydney and trying on dresses so while Rhonda is in the car on her way to therapy she sees the be back soon sign on the video shop so she tells the driver to just keep going and that's when she notices muriel in a bridal shop just down the street trying on a dress so she has him stop the car she goes into the shop and asks Muriel why she didn't tell her that she was going to marry Tim Sims, the ex that wants to shoot her. And this is when oh, I remember, no. oh, yeah, she still thinks that she was engaged. 
<sighs> so Muriel runs away from her in the bridal shop and Rhonda asks what's going on. She's seen her album. She's tried on every dress in Sydney and Muriel tells Rhonda that she isn't getting married. She wants to get married. She's always wanted to get married. If she can get married, it means she's changed and she's a new person because who would want to marry her? And Rhonda's like, Tim Sims. And Muriel finally admits that she made him up. In Porpoise Bit, no one would even look at her. But since she moved to Sydney and became Muriel, Bryce asked her out and that proves she's already different than she was. And if someone wants to marry her, then she's not her anymore. She's me, like her new self. And Rhonda asks what she means, and Muriel tells her, Muriel Heslop is stupid, fat, and useless. I hate her. And she just like really breaks down in this moment and asks why it can't be her, why she can't be the one. And Rhonda just wheels out of the store. Yeah, this this monologue is is so well done and I think really touches on like all the key elements of this movie, which is like that this is a woman with incredibly low self-esteem who mm-hmm. is like seeking that external validation that she's been taught all her life is what she needs to be like seen as successful. Like it's basically seen if you're not married as like a moral failing of sorts, right? And yeah, like being unlovable also. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she has been told her whole life by her father that she is nothing and that she's useless and the only thing she's good for is, like, marrying off, essentially. And, yeah, it's just really sad to see her, like, really link her self-esteem to that. And also, like, it it touches on greater societal issues of, like, how much pressure we do put on women to, like, get married and to, like, find love. And that's not to say that people shouldn't want those things, but, like – we shouldn't hinge our identities on them. I agree. Yeah. I don't know if it's fair to say that at the end of the movie, she's totally like over the idea of marriage. Yeah. But it's definitely evolved into something that doesn't constitute her entire personality. Mm-hmm. And yeah, she really hinges a lot of faith on that. I think partially because of societal pressure, of the pressure of her town where that's like a big accomplishment and also just that desire to be loved when she hasn't had that feeling of unconditional love in her life. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I do also think it's interesting though that there's never, like in this moment, Rhonda like leaves. They don't really hash it out or she doesn't say anything mean to Muriel. She kind of just exits. And I understand that she's been betrayed by her, but I wished I was like, no, like you gotta like stay. And yeah. I wanted Muriel to like go back and talk to her, but it was just like, you know, broken. Like that bond is like so broken in that moment. Yeah. And I think like we we put a lot of like premium on like we as you know society um put a lot of premium on romantic relationships and that they're often like valued a lot more over friendship yeah when like i don't think that should be the case like i i think that like friendships are equally as important as romantic partnerships and 
I think one of the reasons that Rhonda like does just walk away is because like she cares about Muriel so much and she has done a lot to like affirm her and make her feel accepted and loved and for Muriel to basically not purposefully, but like, you know, discount that by saying that she's she's never been loved or wanted or accepted when Rhonda has been doing that all along. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure it felt a bit like a slap in the face, um, which is why she just walks away. It's incredibly sad. And I mean, Tony Collette and Rachel Griffiths are both such talented performers and like their chemistry in this movie is so good. Like, yeah, we can really see their their bond get established so quickly. And yeah, just the way that they play off each other is is really phenomenal. Yeah, definitely. Ugh. Yeah. So we go back to the video shop. Muriel answers the phone and it's her father. Mm. So she does go to meet him for dinner. And he pretty much immediately, like while there's other people at the table as well, there's like three other people there. He just, like, confronts her right away and asks why he did this to her. You know, he gave her money. He got her jobs. He mentions the secretarial course, the cosmetics. And that's when this small child goes up to Bill and he's like, Excuse me, are you Bill the Battler? I saw you on TV. And asks for his autograph. Are you Bill the Battler? Yeah. (laughs) And he tells him that he and his dad think he's not guilty. So... Muriel then tells her dad that she's changed her name to Mario. And Bill says, well, you're coming back to Porpoise Spit with me in three weeks once this inquiry is over. She tells him that she's a new person now, but Bill just calls her a thief and tells her that the only reason he didn't send the cops after her was for her mother because she begged him not to. Bill says he wants his money back so he'll get her a job, he'll write a bank loan for her, and she's going to make up for what she's done. And, like, while Bill is an awful person and I hate him, she she did steal thousands she of definitely dollars. St- yeah. She definitely stole that money. For yeah. sure. For sure. For she sure. She definitely left her family destitute. In a lurch. <laughs> for sure. Yep. For then, sure. to make matters worse, <laughs> who decides to stroll up? But Deidre Chambers, she walks mm-hmm. in and Bill is like, oh, my God, Deidre, what are you doing here? What this whole fucking little game that they play where they're like, oh, my God, I had no idea you were going to be here. Ha, ha, ha. What a coincidence. Yeah. And she's like, oh, oh Deidre, Deidre, I have a sister. Come sit with us. <laughs> she's like, oh, I have a sister who lives in Sydney. What a coincidence. Oh, my God. <laughs> and. Bill then introduces her to his barrister, which just means lawyer, right? Yeah. Yeah. And his two solicitors and Muriel. And she's like, it's Mario. (laughs) So the lawyer says they should really get back. You know, um, Victor's testimony starts at three. But Bill is pissed because, you know, he knows that Victor is going to testify that he took bribes from him. But yeah. then Deidre corrects him and says, commissions, commi- not bribes, commissions. <sighs> Bill says that he cut through the red tape for Victor and he deserves acknowledgement. You know, they never would have been able to build their casino on Crown Land without him. And Bill complains about the overreaction and says that the federal police raided the house and Betty just let them walk in and made statements about the money problems. But Deidre tells Bill just to not think about it. 
you know, he needs his family around him. And Bill tells Muriel that if the feds come around to not say a word. And Muriel just asks Bill if he left mom for Deidre. Yeah, just flat out. And Bill doesn't say anything because he's a fucking coward. Mm -hmm. But Deidre says, yes, we're in love. Is Deidre like delusional? Like that man cannot be lovable. Like No. Not the way he's acting right now. He can't. He's not lovable, nor does he give love. He's like one of the most withholding men I've ever seen in my life. Right. So Muriel asks, what about my mother? And Deidre asks Muriel, what happiness does Bill have in his life besides her? So Muriel asks again about her mom. And Bill says, Muriel, you can have her. You know, you got her. Just the most like vile, Mm -hmm. vile man. Just like so dismissive and like self-serving. Yeah, Yeah, self-serving. Later that night, Muriel comes home and Rhonda is smoking in her wheelchair and tells Muriel that the tumor has come back and she'll have to have another operation and she's not going to walk. But Muriel asks about her rehabilitation and Rhonda tells her that they're going to cut her spinal cord. So it's very, very serious. It's kind of a wake-up call too, I guess, for Mm. Muriel. Just that, you know, Rhonda's never going to be the same person she was, you know? So Rhonda says her mom called also and she wanted to take her back to Porpoise Spit, but she told her she was going to stay here with Muriel. So we then later on go to Muriel. She is flipping through some newspaper ads of men seeking women in the Sydney area. And that's when she comes across an ad of a man seeking a wife hastily, mm-hmm. which is always a good sign. You know, somebody looking for a wife on the fly. What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> so turns out he's a hot, hot hottie. Mm-hmm. So we go to this swimming pool in a complex somewhere and there's this whole like swim team practice going on and the coach ken blundell introduces himself and i was like oh my god is this the man no it's not i thought it was too i thought it was gonna be like um he because he's listed as 20 years old also (laughs) and this man is not 20 not Um, that but then he calls out to david david von arkel And Muriel watches as this, you know, Adonis emerges from the pool, a beautiful, tall, blonde, blue-eyed man. Ken introduces them, they shake hands, and he explains that David is from South Africa. Obviously, she's very flustered because this is like a gorgeous man. Yeah. And she just looks at David and he looks at her and he's like, I can't fucking believe I'm doing this, but... Basically, he's like, what about the Turkish woman? Yeah. What about that other woman? <laughs> yeah. The um the gist of it is, is that David wants to swim for Team Australia and take the gold mm-hmm. in the Olympics. And his family would do anything to, like, have him reach his full potential, including giving the woman willing to help him do it 10,000 doll hairs. Wow. So he asks where Muriel is from and why she left Porpoise Spit. And she says that it's because of all the mental things that happened to her. And that since 
you know, moving here, her physical and mental being have been improved. And David just like looks at Muriel, who is goo goo gaga over him. And he's mm-hmm. like, Ken, what about what about like the woman from Turkey? What about the the blonde woman? And Ken is <sighs> like, you didn't like them. Like she's standing right here. So Ken tells Muriel that she'll have to tell the immigration authorities that she's in love with David and live in his flat for at least four months after the marriage. And he has the details all worked out. But most importantly, they have to convince people that they're really in love. Ken tells David that he thinks Muriel is just who they've been looking for. And he asks Muriel to let them know by tomorrow morning if she's in or out. So back at the flat, Muriel comes in and she sees Rhonda sleeping. Then she goes into her room, grabs a cassette, and plays Dancing Queen and hums along and just looks at herself in the mirror as she sings the lyrics. Again, she's like super out of it. She's kind of like back to the, you know, her original state. Yeah, because like there were those brief moments when she first moved to Sydney where she had kind of like let go of needing to be married. She was kind of like living in the moment, experiencing life, but she's really, you know, found herself going back to um, her old ways of thinking. Yeah, it seems like when things started getting hard, she like mm-hmm. didn't really know how to cope with that and she kind of turned to her old sensibilities. Yeah, but ultimately she does decide to – um to take this marriage deal. Yeah. So we see a bouquet flying across the sky and we pan down to people arriving at the church for Muriel's wedding. Inside the church, Rhonda's mom wheels Rhonda in and says that Muriel could have at least asked her to be bridesmaid. You know, she could have been on TV, but Rhonda says Muriel did ask. And then she actually snaps to her mom and says she doesn't want to sit up at the front. She just wants to sit in the corner. And her mom says if this is her attitude, she doesn't know why she even bothered coming. So they go to the corner. Rhonda's mom parks her chair and says at least this way she won't be in anyone's way. Muriel's bridesmaids then come in and much to my surprise, it is Tanya, Cheryl, Mm -hmm. one of the other girls who's not Nicole. The blonde girl. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) And they notice Rhonda and go over to her. Rhonda is surprised that they are bridesmaids and they're like, oh, we always knew Muriel would do good. Oh my God, Rhonda, like what happened to you? What a phrase to say to someone who's in a wheelchair. Like, Yeah. Rhonda says that she had cancer and everyone gets deeply uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And Rhonda says that they cut it out, but she just won't be able to walk again. And Cheryl's like, oh my gosh, but you were so full of life. And Rhonda's like, I'm not dead like i am still alive yeah but they're like anyways we gotta go get ready oh you must be so happy for muriel and tanya then stays behind for a moment and tells Rhonda that she's divorcing chook and she guesses that she has Rhonda to thank for that and hopes that she can repay the favor one day <laughs> did you think that was like sincere like she was like thank you i i think so yeah 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 I think she's she's sad about it, but, you know, knows that it's probably the right call. I do think it's interesting how, and maybe it's just because Rhonda's a bit more well-adjusted, but mm-hmm. they feel bad or at least want to change how they treated Rhonda. But with Muriel, it's always, like, just, like, blow after blow after blow. 
Yeah, I think it's because, like, Muriel doesn't stand up for herself the way that Rhonda does. So they they can get away with more with Muriel, which is That's awful. True. But I think yeah. once, like, Tanya walks away, Rhonda does, like, have a little bit of a smile. And mm. we then see who else has showed up to the wedding but Bryce. Poor Bryce. Who just, what? just wanted to go on a date with the pretty girl at the video shop and... You know, liked her for who she is, but it just didn't work out. Yeah. And we see Deidre applying powder. Also, she's wearing white. Incredibly really nasty. inappropriate. I know it's sometimes a tradition that people do where the mother of the bride wears white. Like, have oh, you heard of that? I don't know. I haven't heard of that. But either way, she's not her mom. No. So I'm like, that's crazy that you would do that. Yeah. yeah, I feel like I've been seeing a lot of this on TikTok recently. Like, there was a video that went like kind of viral of somebody being like, "Help me pick out like a dress to wear to a wedding," and like the dress that she got is like some white like Reformation dress, and people were like, "Are you insane? Like, you can't wear this to a wedding." She's like, "Oh, but it has these like black accents on it," and like it was like a whole thing, and then it sparked this whole debate of people being like, "Can you wear white to a wedding?" Like, is cream too close? And ultimately, just don't wear cream. Yeah. The thing for is, one day. if you have to wonder <laughs> if it's even right. a question, is this appropriate? Right. It's not. Like, just don't even go there. Just wear something else. Absolutely. Yeah. It's just like one day. Yeah. There are plenty of other colors in the rainbow. Right. And you don't have to wear white. We then cut over to, you know, the blushing groom, David, who's <laughs> so excited to be there. And he tells Ken that they should have just done a quick civil ceremony. But Ken says it's good that Muriel wanted a big church wedding because it's romantic and it looks more real. Like they mean it. Yes. Outside, Bill the Battler is being hounded by photogs. The paps. paps. <laughs> the journalists. And yeah. he tells them the charges don't surprise him. The bastards have been out to get him from the beginning. Then Muriel pulls up to the church in her car and the paps are like, are you marrying for money or convenience? Like, da-da-da. So Bill tells her that Betty is riding by bus because he can't afford a plane ticket and she's probably out somewhere looking for a taxi. Yeah. So wrong. Mm -hmm. And then Muriel walks up to the church and Tanya sees her in her gown. And her jaw kind of drops, and she tells Muriel she looks beautiful. And this also surprised me because mm -hmm. she seems genuine in this moment as well. But, like, we see little glimpses of Tanya being human and mm -hmm. caring for other people, but also a lot of her being incredibly selfish and judgmental. So. Yeah, definitely. So the time has come. The ceremony is about to begin. We see David – Shedding a tear. <laughs> he waits uh, to be married. Not one of happiness, I would say. Everybody stands for the procession. And what song plays while Miss Muriel gets <laughs> married? Say I do. I do, I do, I do, I do, I do. It's I do by ABBA. So yes. <laughs> the bridesmaids walk down the aisle. And then off goes Muriel with her father the crowd looks at her. A lot of people 
are looking displeased, a little judgmental, as does the groom, David. And Ken just tells David to think of the games. Bill passes Muriel off to David, and Muriel also has, like, the biggest grin in the world on her face throughout this whole ceremony. So the priest begins the ceremony, and he says Muriel, and she corrects him. It's it's Mario, actually. And he asks David if he promises to be true to her in good times and bad, in sickness and in health, etc., etc., David takes the longest pause in the world until Ken nudges him and he just goes, sure, why not? Uh. He then, you know, asks the same vows to Muriel and says that, you know, they've declared their consent before the church. Rhonda decides to leave during the ceremony. And finally, Betty arrives at the church with all of her bags and just has to like watch. fresh off the bus. Yeah. Just has to watch in the back. David offers Muriel the ring as a sign of love and fidelity in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they are pronounced husband and wife. David removes Muriel's veil and gives her a, a chaste kiss on the cheek. Very chaste. Yeah. Very brief. He then breathes a sigh of relief that it's over. And I'm like, as if she's like some revolting creature of the underworld. Like They never get to know each other before the wedding. So he's really like, he sees her as like his enemy at this point. And I'm like, is it fair to maybe draw some conclusions that she's not the most like normal and stable person in the world, given that she's enthusiastically agreed to this green card marriage sure yeah i can't can't hold that against you but you're being very unfair and mean to her for no reason in a lot of other ways yeah because you also want this yeah in a way so yeah tanya and ken sign the witness papers and tanya and the crew come up to congratulate muriel bill tells muriel good job and david shakes his hand and You know, they walk around getting congratulated, and Muriel actually ends up walking right past her mother out of the church, and Betty just starts to cry. That was heartbreaking. Oh, my God. Devastating. Especially because she watches, like, Muriel, like, hug and say hi to Deidre, and then just, like, walk right past her own mother. Awful. Ugh. So outside, someone's talking to David, and they're like, oh, how do you feel? And his coach just speaks for him. He's like, the next time you see gold on this hand, it's going to be the gold medal for the 1,500 meters. And the Tanya girls gab to reporters about how close they are with Muriel and, like, porpoise spit high. And Muriel actually notices Rhonda behind the church and walks over to her. And Rhonda just flat out says, like, oh, I was hiding from you. And Muriel is surprised she even came. But Rhonda tells her she had to see it for herself. Just the bridesmaids were worth it. And Muriel's like, you know, they came crawling to me. I didn't even ask them to be in the wedding. But I showed them. I'm just as good as they are. And Rhonda's like, I have to go. I have to catch the bus back to Porpoise Spit tonight with my mom. And Muriel tells her she doesn't want her to go. 
And Rhonda tells her she should have thought of that before she left her. She couldn't pay rent without her. She couldn't even do the shopping. She needed help. She needed a friend. And we never see this because I guess it's from Muriel's perspective, but she engages in this thing and like we don't see what happens to Rhonda. Yeah. And like she kind of just drops everything in order to pursue the marriage. But like obviously Rhonda had this life-changing thing happen to her. She like needed assistance. Yeah. So Mariel tells her she meant she doesn't want her to go back by bus. She bought her two plane tickets. And this is like so insulting. Yeah. And Rhonda just tells her to go to hell. And Muriel tells Rhonda that she already gave the tickets to her mom. But she just says that, you know, she is a new person and she sucks. She's not half the person Muriel Heslop was. That's right. Yeah. So Tanya and the crew come over to them and they tell her they heard she was moving back to Porpoise Spit. And they tell her mom not to worry. You know, they'll push her around and they wheel out Rhonda and Muriel just watches Rhonda go and like she looks very sad. Yeah, because it's like the one real relationship that she had. Yeah. And she lost it. So that night, David and Muriel arrive at David's flat. She looks around and asks if he's rich and he tells her that this is his parents' house. You know, he's just staying here. And Muriel mentions that they didn't come to the wedding and David says, no, they they just paid for it. They're back in Johannesburg. So he shows her around the apartment and, you know, reveals that they have separate rooms, obviously. He then excuses himself to go for a swim. But before he leaves, he asks Muriel, it wasn't just for the money, was it? And asks what kind of person marries someone they don't even know. And she says that he did. Mm. David says, I wanted to win. All my life I've wanted to win. And Muriel tells him, me too. That's very true, just in extremely different ways. Yeah. So they walk into their separate rooms and Muriel takes off her veil. And it is especially sad because, like, this is something that she's been conditioned and and to want and something that she thought she wanted so bad and for it to be yeah. like so fraudulent and so empty. Yeah. Like I can only imagine that emotional come down, like sitting alone in your separate bedroom in that dress and just uh. like everything being fake. Not what you dreamed it would be. Yeah. Things are going from sad to sadder right now mm-hmm. and it's not going to get better for a minute. So everyone brace yourselves. Yeah. Back in Porpoise Spit, we see Betty in the supermarket, and her ankles are just aching. Her feet and, like, her ankles are red. I don't know if it's, like, a rash or just, like, the strain of being on your feet all day or what. But she looks at the aisle at some cheap, like, rubber slippers to wear and kind of just kicks off her heels and puts on these really comfy shoes and feels a lot better But this freaking detective, Janine, the senior store detective from the wedding in the beginning of the film, sees her put on the slippers. Mm -hmm. I'm like, 
you are not on the clock. Yeah. You're doing your shopping. Yeah. Stay in your lane. Leave her alone. When she gets to the cashier, she's like very despondent and the cashier repeats the total and Betty hands over the payment but forgets to like pay for the shoes or like mention she put them on or whatever. Mm-hmm. And the next thing we see, Betty is in the precinct for shoplifting the shoes and Bill is trying to sweet talk the police and he tells them she's clearly not all right in the head and they tell him, okay, like we'll see what we can do. And on the way home, Betty tells Bill that she meant to pay and she's like really terrified and just like teary eyed. And mm-hmm. she tells him that she needs help around the house. And but before she can finish, Bill just turns up the music and ignores her. So we go back to the house and Bill tells Betty that he's not coming back and he wants a divorce because he's marrying Deidre. He tells Betty that he didn't win the state government election at the time because they said that his family wasn't up to scratch. So once again, like this man dodges responsibility for fucking everything in his life and puts blame on his family. And he's like, look at this place. We ne- I never had a bloody chance. And he storms out and Betty just watches him from the window. And she looks at Perry and she tells him to get out and find a job. He's an embarrassment to his father. And Perry tells his mother that she's the embarrassment and calls her a mad bitch. And Betty walks into the kitchen and cries. How, like, intense. Mm -hmm. Because both she and Perry are kind of, like, layabouts, but they're also, like, traumatized by... Yeah, they're both victims. Yeah. So it's sad to see them being pitted against each other. Like as she's chastising him, she's hitting him with a newspaper Mm -hmm. and it gets kind of aggressive. But ultimately their tension is caused by um, Bill. Yeah. Just absolutely just destroying everyone in the house and being like a terror. Yeah. Back at her flat, Muriel watches – her wedding video and David goes for a swim downstairs. Then Mariel gets a call. It's her sister, Joni. And she tells her that their mom has died. And they're all at the hospital. And her dad says that she needs to come home. So Mariel arrives at her house in Porpoise Spit. Penelope, her little sister, is on the phone asking someone if they're coming to the funeral tomorrow. She looks very chipper. I was like, what the hell? I don't remember. I feel like you've erased um, Penelope from your yeah, mind. I like, I like don't remember Penelope at all. I don't know <laughs> if I was watching a different cut or like what, but. She's only in this scene in the very beginning. Yeah. Just these like short, short pieces. Mm. But she's like, yeah, I invited Russell to the funeral. Like, are you coming? Oh my gosh. Yeah, Russell invited Alan. Like, it's super weird. Yeah. So, Muriel says hi to Perry, and that's when Deidre calls out, and she gets up from cleaning the kitchen and hugs Muriel, and she tells her that it was a heart attack. Joni found her lying on the bed looking peaceful. She didn't suffer. She made ugh, this fucking line. She made the ultimate sacrifice for her father because now 
they're lenient on his sentencing and he has kids to support. And she tells her that she should be glad that her life amounted to something. And it's just so disgusting. Yeah, it's really awful. Like, yeah. Deidre just has no respect for Betty whatsoever. Absolutely. So Deidre's, I guess, like, friend, I presume, who is also helping clean up, says she just finished with the bathroom. And she tells her to get started on the laundry. It's a big job. And Muriel looks out at the backyard and – the lawn is like all burnt up. Like it looks like a desert. Mm -hmm. And her brother tells Muriel that Betty burned it because she got tired of waiting for Perry to mow it. So Muriel goes and sits with Joni and she asks what she's going to do without their mom. And she's like looking through Betty's photo album and Muriel takes it and looks through it. It's all pictures of the kids and clipping is of Muriel's wedding from the newspaper and that's when Joni tells her that their mom took sleeping pills. Mm. She was like, when I found her, they were right next to her, but then they were gone. And their dad said that they didn't want anyone to know. And the doctor was like, yeah, your father's been through enough. So they agreed to like not talk about it. There's just like no respect for this woman, even in death. Yeah. I wonder what she was like, like younger. Mm-hmm. Like, I wonder if this all, like, happened when, you know, she got married or if it was, like, after and it felt like she wasn't appreciated or I don't know. It's yeah. just so heartbreaking to watch her spiral and ultimately, like, take her own life. Yeah. So we go to Betty's funeral and Muriel is just really out of it, understandably. And the priest reads – he reads a condolence telefax to Bill Heslop and family, and it's from like some it's from a politician, Bob Hawke, who's like the former prime minister of Australia. And like all these journalists in the church are like jotting down notes on their like little legal pads. And Bill is just like so proud of getting condolences from a former prime minister and tells Muriel, like, see, I'm I'm not forgotten. I'm like, can you not make something about you for five fucking seconds mm -hmm. that, like, the mother of your children has died and you're right. using it as, like, a press opportunity? And the reverend says that Betty lived for her family and seeing her daughter Muriel get married and visiting Sydney for the wedding was one of the highlights of her life. Aww. And this is a really devastating blow for Muriel because obviously, like, it was fake. Like, it it wasn't real. And so she just runs out of the church. David is actually there. He's He's come to the funeral. He's outside. That really surprised me. Me too. And he tells her that he's sorry. And I was like, David's kind of a hottie. And I was like, wow, he's showing. He cares. He, yeah. like, he cares about her that he doesn't, like, literally think of her as shit on his shoes. Oh, my God. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> the bar is so, so low. <laughs> so David and Muriel go back to their hotel, and she tells him she thought she was so different, this new person, but she's not. She's just the same as him, referring to Bill. Yeah. She starts crying, and David actually holds her hands and, like, brushes her hair out of her face. 
and leans his forehead on hers. Yeah. And they have this very intimate moment where Muriel is like crying, but Mm -hmm. they're leaning into each other's foreheads and they just are finally connecting and see each other as people Mm -hmm. for the first time. And they end up kissing. And we also hear like, Ave Maria. Like, which I think was, was it playing at the church when they got married? Or was it, because there's another Um, time we hear it. I don't know if it was playing, because I do was playing like ABBA when she walked down the aisle, but I don't know if Ave Maria also played. I think it might have been at the beginning or something, but like this is the second time we we hear this. But um, yeah, so they actually connect with each other. Yeah. I was very surprised. I really wasn't expecting it. But me neither. In the morning, we see David sleeping soundly in the sheets. We can all guess what's happened the night prior. Mm-hmm. And Muriel makes a call in their motel. David wakes up and he kisses her. And she tells David that she can't stay married to him. She has to stop lying. She's told so many lies. And one day, you know, if she keeps it up, she's not even going to know when she's doing it. Right. Muriel tells David that she doesn't love him. And he says, I don't love you either, but I think I would like having you around. She offers to give the money back, but he says that it's hers. And she takes off the ring as her taxi honks outside. She tells him, good luck in the games. And David says, you too. Oh. Yeah. I thought this moment was really sweet. Like, it would have been very easy for Muriel to, like, maybe try and make this relationship work or into, like, what she wanted it to be. But I'm very proud of her for walking away and, like, you know, starting anew. Yeah, definitely. I think she's kind of – um changed by her mom's passing mm-hmm. and especially finding out that she was at the wedding and not seeing her yeah and that vanity reflected in her father mm-hmm. and she's like I'm not going to be like him yeah like I need to really think about what I'm doing here and I was so glad though because it was so close to the end of the movie mm-hmm. that I was like I just want this to like Like, I want her to realize Mm -hmm. what she's doing or, like, have some sort of character change. So I was very relieved. Yeah. So Muriel goes back to Porpoise Spit and Bill stands in the backyard. And she stands with Bill and he says he doesn't understand why Betty burned it. And he tells Muriel that um, she'll need to help with the kids And she asks about Dietra, and he tells her that she'll lend a hand, but he doesn't think that she's keen to marry him anymore now that he's living with the kids. And Muriel tells Bill that he needs to look after the kids, but Bill's just like, you owe me. And that's when Muriel takes out the check, and she gives it to her dad and says, this isn't all of it but I'll pay off the rest when I get back to Sydney and get a job. And Bill asks if she's not going to help him. And Muriel tells him that he needs to look after the kids and tell them they're not useless. They never were. Yeah. So she's really 
trying to rectify like the damage that he's done and really only he can fix yeah what what's like happened then bill mentions the telegram from bob hawk the former prime minister and muriel asks how he got that and he says like he found his office he nearly won office for or bill nearly won state office and now he's unemployed he had to resign and he'll have to get on the dole. So he's just like, imagine the faces when I walk into that dole office. You reap what you sow. I grew up on a farm. I should know that. Mm. Then Joni calls down to Bill and tells him the cricket game has started. And Bill tells her, Muriel is going back to Sydney. And... He tells Muriel to keep in touch, and Muriel says goodbye. And then Joni calls down again and asks if he wants her to open him a can of beer, and he tells her that would be lovely. So there's hope yet for him to heal his relationship with his kids. Yeah. So we then go over to Tanya, and she tells the girls, including Rhonda, Mm -hmm. that she's going to give it another chance with Chuck. After he gets out of the correctional facility because he was accused of raping a Japanese tourist. What a crazy addition Mm -hmm. to this movie. Mm -hmm. Cheryl then says that they're going, like, they better go. They're actually meeting up with Rose Biggs for lunch. And Rhonda is like, what do you mean? Didn't she, like, suck off your husband, Tanya? And Tanya's like, yeah, I know. But then... I slept with her husband, and that made me realize that we all make mistakes. So Tanya's just back to her same old, same old. Mm -hmm. And that's when Muriel arrives, and she asks Rhonda if she wants to come back to Sydney. She's got a taxi outside and two plane tickets. Tanya asks Muriel, what about your husband? But Muriel tells them that they broke up. And Rhonda asks why she would want to go with her. And Muriel says that she's her friend. Rhonda's mom then says, you can't just come barging in and turn Rhonda against the people who were there for her when she needed them. But Rhonda says, yes, she can. Mom, I'm sorry. I love you, but you drive me crazy. And you three, what a bunch of cocksuckers. (laughs) (laughs) Muriel is elated and she helps Rhonda to the taxi as Dancing Queen plays. Uh, I love this part. Yeah. Tanya then comes out and she's like, who do you think you are calling me that? I'm married. I'm beautiful. And Muriel and Rhonda just like giggle to each other as they drive off. Rhonda looks out the window at her mom and says, I'll see you. Her mom nods. Tanya and the gals watch as they drive off and Muriel and Rhonda drive through Porpoise Spit, like saying goodbye to all the buildings, like goodbye mall, goodbye beach, and goodbye to Porpoise Spit. And our final scene of the movie, Muriel and Rhonda just smile at each other. The end. I love the ending. I think yeah. so. So nice. Uh, yeah. What a movie. It was a lot darker than I thought it was going to be going in for sure. Mm-hmm. And I was watching a interview with Tony Collette of her just kind of like rewatching a couple of scenes and she actually like teared up just talking about like how like sad of a character Muriel is at times in this movie and like 
how she is somebody who just has such low self-esteem and that she gets to go on this really beautiful journey to like learn to accept herself. And yeah. Yeah. Like I think that Muriel is a character that we're so easily endeared to because a lot of the way that she feels is something that we can all kind of identify with. Like Mm -hmm. we all have issues with accepting ourselves and with confidence and um, with just being enough. And I thought it was like a really thoughtful kind of exploration of that theme. Yeah. And it's also a movie that doesn't end perfectly. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not like she has the perfect job or now she did find the love of her life. She just needed to take the step in order to start uh, being herself or like the first step into, yeah, I guess wanting to be her, wanting to be a loyal friend, Mm -hmm. wanting to be the person that she wants to be friends with. Um, and the lying, it, it's something that like you kind of forget because Muriel isn't like a malicious person, but she does lie yeah. a lot. There's like a lot of dishonesty and like it's definitely a, the lies are a way to shroud her uh, feeling like she's not enough. Mm-hmm. So she can just kind of like live in a dream world. Um, but yeah, like she says, it's like if I keep lying, one day I'm not even going to be able to tell the difference between what's real and what's fake. So yeah, um, I think it takes like a lot of courage to to decide to leave everything and like her just being like, I have two tickets to Sydney. I want you to come with me. We can't be back in Porpoise Spit. Yeah, and to just like cut the cord and like make that choice and. Mm-hmm. Uh, Muriel. Yeah. It is such a relatable character. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, we very much enjoy movies about, like, female friendship, and, and this is no exception to that. Like, I really love the importance and the emphasis that this movie does put on friendships because, yeah. like I said, they often get disregarded in the in the place of romantic relationships, which just are, like, seen as more important in, like, the world that we live in. And the friendship with Rhonda is, like, the most real and loving and supportive relationship in in the movie. So it's, like, a very satisfying ending to see see the two of them come back together at the end. Yeah. And it was also – we talked about it or, like, touched on it earlier, but it reminded me of Romy and Michelle. Mm -hmm. And there was another movie. Oh, well, this does not remind me of – mafia mama but like tony collette's character in that movie is also um she's a mom and she's married but like her husband sucks Mm -hmm. and she's kind of lost her sense of self i guess and even though the movie's like quite crappy she does go on this like journey of self-discovery Um, And I think Toni Collette's really good at just kind of being lovable and charming and down to earth. Mm -hmm. Um, And I really appreciated that in her performance. Oh, it reminds me of Bridget Jones. Oh, yeah, yeah. I could see that. Yeah, Toni Collette is – she's truly like one of the best actors of our time. Like the range that she has is – Pretty crazy. Pretty crazy. And she's also like – I I love how there's been, like, interviews, especially after she did Hereditary, where they were asking her, like, oh, like, 
you know, did, was it difficult to like live in that character and all this stuff? Like, how did you come out of it? And she was like, I'm an actor. Like once I finished the scene, I then like go back to living my life. Like I'm not doing well. Wow, like she's not like a male actor yeah. who's like, I need to live in a cabin yeah. for three months and no one can talk to me. No one can address me as like mm-hmm. my real name. You have to call me like the Joker and yeah. like fucking uh, Lincoln. Yeah. Abraham Lincoln. Like, yeah, if you're a trained actor, you should be able to like drop in mm-hmm. and then it might not be immediate. Yeah. Like, you might be residual feelings, but like, yeah, you end the day as yourself. Cause, um, it's a job like any other job. It's right. a workplace. It's a workplace. Don't make it toxic. (laughs) But yeah, it was, it was also like wild to see her so young. Like I haven't, because most of her stuff that I've seen is more recent. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, she's so luminous. Like what a, what a great performer. Yeah. Yeah. And also like many flowers to Rachel Griffiths, who's also really great in this movie. Oh yeah. Yeah. Her character is less dynamic just because she's, really herself from the start of the mm-hmm. movie and she's really just a character that like jumps off the screen she's so electric and like loves life mm-hmm. um but yeah she was so good and the moments where she found out about like her tumor and everything like it was so visceral and yeah like that physical therapy scene is oh like, yeah great she's so good in it yeah mm-hmm. that that scene is probably like one of my favorite in the, mm-hmm. the movie because it's so like she's struggling so hard and Muriel's just like honest with her about how her friendship has really changed her life. Mm-hmm. But that being said, I guess what would you rate Muriel's wedding? Hmm. I, I really liked it, but I don't think it's one I'm going to frequently rewatch just because it is really it, – it's a sad movie. Like, you kind of have to be in it the right really frame of mind for it. Like, it does have a lot of those very fun, like, wacky Australian humor moments. But, yeah, you just have to kind of be in the right mood for this movie. Um, But I did think it was really good. I'm going to give it, like, like a 7.75. Mm. I was thinking, like, an 8. Even eight and a half. Yeah. I really enjoyed it. Um, Yeah. I kind of just felt like the movie was kind of like the way that things happened. It was really like sloppy and messy, Mm -hmm. but that also is just how life happens. Like sometimes really horrible things happen Mm -hmm. around the same time and you kind of get lost and you have to figure out how to get back Mm -hmm. to yourself. So, oh my goodness. I did not expect this from Muriel's wedding I need to like decompress (laughs) yeah if you want another like Australian palate cleanser uh I would recommend looking into Kath and Kim it's a it's a great time no no yeah I think you've shown me clips before Mm -hmm. it seems like very funny for sure well we hope you enjoyed this episode if you want a little more you can always listen to our bonus episodes on patreon um we can also follow us on instagram it's movies that raised us you can follow us on twitter at mtru underscore pod you can follow us on tiktok at movies that raised us pod and you can always send us a good old-fashioned email really get your thoughts out at movies that raised us at gmail.com and if you made it this far um dm us what your favorite fall treat is 
Ooh. Yeah. What's your favorite fall treat? I think it's the the pumpkin cheesecake cookies that I'm going to make. Oh, for <laughs> Those sure. Are my fave. That's too good. I love an apple cider donut. Mm, that's a good one. That's a good yeah. One. Yeah. Well, I'm Mo. And I'm Christina, and our theme song is by Garrett Schmidt. Bye. Bye.